Heavenly Father, thank you for this day, for the uh, privilege and opportunity we have to gather together and just prepare to gather with your people, to fix our minds upon you according to the high priestly prayer of our Lord Jesus Christ and what that means to us and for us as we learn more about the gift of prayer in Christ's name. When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that the son may glorify you, since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything that you have given me is from you. For I have given them the words that you gave me, and they have received them, and have come to know in truth that I came from you, and they have believed that you sent me. I'm praying for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. All mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. And I'm no longer in the world, but they are in the world. And I'm coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. Sends the reading of God's word this morning. Uh, over the course of our studies, um, we've seen the uh, heartbeat of prayer, which is really uh, asking God to make good on his sovereign creed plan, his saving purposes, which uh, we see it is a long-term project, um, historically, redemptively. Um, prayer, um, we've learned also, is rightly understood as submitting to God's sovereignty. It's not a matter of trying to compete with it. It's a matter of, of asking God to accomplish his purposes, it's not, not to change them. John Frame, which I quoted a number of weeks ago, he says, and I quote, how can God be responsive to our prayers if God controls the outcome of our prayers before we utter them? Because his eternal plan has established that many events on earth take place because of prayer. End quote. In other words, we're called to pray because prayer serves as a means to God's end. Uh, we were reminded last time, when we pray, uh, we're not alone. Uh, we're actually praying in, in Jesus' steps in relation to the Father through Christ uh, by the power of the Holy Spirit. I'm looking briefly, as we did, um, at, at how we can learn to pray in Jesus' name from the Psalms. And in coming weeks, we will look at um, a couple of Psalms and walk through them as examples of how to pray 
from the Bible and how, how to do that, where uh, we'll, we'll learn how to pray more specifically and less boringly, as uh, Don Whitney in his book points out, um, it's titled Praying the Bible. And that is uh, when we pray the same old things about the same old things in the same old ways. We can learn how to pray those things um, from the scriptures. That's what he means by less boringly. Um, in the New Testament, obviously, we see again and again that we're to pray in Jesus' name, uh, which is equivalent to calling on the name of Yahweh in the Old Testament. In, in both cases, uh, prayer is understood as, as asking God to do what he has promised to do. In the Old Testament, it's to send the Messiah and establish his kingdom. In the New Testament, it's to continue to build his kingdom through the king, the resurrected and ascended Lord Jesus Christ, until he returns. We were baptized in the name of Jesus. We assemble in the name of Jesus. We are to give thanks always for everything to God the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus. We pray in Jesus name. So praying in the, in, in the name of Jesus um, is more than a uh, magical formula um, that uh, ends our prayers. We pray in Jesus' name, understanding what that means is that we're, we're praying on the basis of his merit. We're praying on the basis of his righteousness, having come to redeem a people for himself, and to understand that the Father is not indifferent to us, those who pray, and therefore, we pray on the basis of his righteousness, for we're in union with him. So he's not indifferent to us when we pray. So the fullness of what it means to pray in Christ's name is to seek ultimately one thing, and that is what he was seeking when he came. And that was to do the will of the Father. To do God's will. Jesus gave up his power and glory to become like one of us, to become a human being, to do the will of the Father. And now we're in him, we're in Christ, and we're able to pray in his name. Now, having read from the, what's known as the high priestly prayer of our Lord Jesus Christ in, in chapter 17 of John's Gospel, Prior to that, just hours before that, Jesus tells his disciples in John 16, this, verse 26. In that day you will ask in my name. And I do not say that I will ask the Father on your behalf. Hey, did you get that? I do not say to you that I will ask the Father on your behalf. For the Father himself loves you. Because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. I came from the Father and have come into the world. And now I'm leaving the world and going to the Father. Okay, that is, he's not petitioning or asking the Father for us. Okay, notice, in that day you will ask in my name, and I do not say to you that I request the Father on your behalf. The Amplified version of the Scripture says, for it will be unnecessary. 
in Romans 8.34. Jesus Christ is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Jesus, the resurrected Lamb of God, ascended, who's at the right hand of God the Father Almighty, He is interceding for us. He's providing intercession. So, what is intercession? When you ask that, most Christians answer, um, it's prayer. You're praying. Or something like that. But technically speaking, intercession isn't prayer at all. Intercessory prayer is prayer. But the point of intercessory prayer is to hold another one up before God. Which is a great privilege. Which we are given that precious gift to be able to do just that. And then witness God unleash His power through prayer. But to understand the privilege and power of intercessory prayer, which is a gracious gift granted to us, uh, we first must understand um, the concept of intercession, particularly um, the intercession um, of Jesus. To intercede here, as we read it in the Scripture, John 8, Hebrews, and so on, it means to, to go, it means to meet, it means to confer or to entreat a person. Pictured here, that is Jesus being at the right hand of the Father. Meaning he's, he's in the highest place of honor in heaven. The highest place of honor. The resurrected God-man is at the right hand of the Father. So the posture at his right hand of, of sitting signifies his work is finished. He is the conquering king. Which means we, we should take who indeed is interceding for us, Romans 8, from which I just read, uh, with uh, some care. Because we sometimes see writings that emphasize Christ's intercession as his perpetual pleading to the Father. As though he were begging the Father on our behalf. I think that's wrong. 19th century British scholar, Bishop of Durham, B.F. Westcott, wrote this, quote, The conception of Christ pleading in heaven on behalf of men has no foundation in the epistle. Speak about Romans and Hebrews. His glorified humanity, his presence on the throne, is the eternal pledge of the absolute efficacy of his accomplished work. End of quote. So let's think about um, intercession. To intercede, according to a Webster, Webster's dictionary, means, and I quote, to go or pass between to act between parties with a view to reconcile those who differ or contend, to interpose, to mediate, to make intercession, to provide mediation. 
Oxford English Dictionary says, it is to intervene on behalf of someone. So intercession can be summarized as as mediating, as going between, representing one party to another, for but not limited to legal situations. Now, intercession happens in courts every day. Every day, as lawyers intercede for clients, in contractual agreements where attorneys show up to represent their client, or even secretaries sitting in on a meeting on behalf of their supervisor or their boss. So there's nothing spiritual about it in, in those categories. So here's what intercession involves. It involves authority, delegation, and representation. Authority based on credentials. Delegation that comes from the subject. And representation of the subject. Okay, Authority, delegation, and representation. And when we talk about representation... To represent means to represent. To represent. So, in order to understand the power and the privilege of intercessory prayer, what I want to do this morning is look at intercession in the context, number one, of the plan of God for humanity at the time of creation. And then the disruption of that plan by the fall. And then thirdly, God's sovereign solution to that disruption, which I will I believe will enable us to understand again the power and privilege of intercessory prayer and what Jesus intercession means for us to be able to do so. Okay? Our prayers of intercession are always an extension of his work of intercession. Rather than thinking of him pleading on our behalf, praying on our behalf, he intercedes for us so that we can pray. I think it's a better way to see it. So we go back to to, to creation, Genesis 1.26. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. And let them have dominion. Okay? So Adam, we read here, was very much like God in resemblance. Image of God, made imago Dei. That's the idea. Very much in resemblance, although God is invisible. Spirit. So Adam is God's representative figure to whom all authority on earth had been delegated. So we have authority of God who delegates to Adam, the one made in his image. And Adam's delegated authority was so final and so complete that he, not just God, now had the ability to give it away to another. Remember when Jesus was tempted in the wilderness? By Satan himself. Forty days. 
representing the failure of 40 years of Israel. Here, the true Israel, Jesus, the son of the living God, comes and is tested for 40 days. And one of the temptations is that the devil, in Luke 4, verse 5, took took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time and said to him, to you I will give all this authority and their glory, for it has been delivered to me. And I give it to whom I will. If you then will worship me, it will be yours. Delivered, paradidomy, surrendered, yielded up to me. Says Satan. Jesus doesn't even argue about it. He doesn't quibble about that. So the fact that man was meant to be God's intercessor, mediator, representative on earth, now needed someone to mediate, intercede for him. So God's decreed will, again, was so final, so complete, that it took the incarnation to regain what Adam gave away what he yielded up. And that means that the second person of the Godhead himself had to become part of the human race. He had to become a man. We read in 1 Corinthians 15, 45, Thus it is written, The first man, Adam, became a living being. The last, Adam, became a life-giving spirit. But it's not the spiritual that's first, but the natural, and then the spiritual. The first man was from the earth, a man of dust. The second man was from heaven. So Christ came, okay, here we are. Christ came to represent, representation, to represent God on earth, representing God to humanity, and at the same time, representing humanity to God as the God-man. Amen? You with me? John 1.18, what do we read? No one has ever seen God. The only God who's at the Father's side, He has made Him known. He has made Him known. He has declared Him. Jesus has explained God. He's exegeted the Father. So everything that Jesus is and does interprets who God is and what he does. He represents God. He came to represent God to man, and again, represent man to God as the perfect man, the God-man. Then we read in 1 John 2, 1. He is our advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. 1 Timothy 2.5, for there's one God, there's one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ, Jesus, Hebrews 7.25, he always lives to make intercession for them. So his intercession isn't prayer. Although he prayed in John 17. And the high priestly prayer of John 17 goes on and has eternal significance, power. 
because the infinite Son of God prayed it on behalf of the 12 and all those who will believe thereafter, which includes you and me here this morning in this room. So when we talk about intercession, it's a, it's a work that he did perfectly and sinlessly and a work that he continues to do. He ever lives to make intercession for us, not to clear us of charges, not to clear us of charges against us as he did to redeem us. Because on the cross, he said, it is finished. But here now, it's to present each of us to the Father as righteous. He sits at the right hand of God the Father, representing us. We're represented in the last Adam. Interceding, representing. So it's not that he's, I don't believe it's that he, the fact that he's praying for us. The, the fact is he's interceding for us so we can pray. Having direct access to the Father because he intercedes for us. He represents us. We're, he's, he's representing us. Therefore, we can have bold access to the throne of grace. This is what asking in Jesus' name means. So our prayers of intercession, as always, are only an outworking of his work of intercession. And it all has to do with our union with him, by grace alone. And this is important to understand because God will not honor any intercession except Christ's, his son. No one can come to God in prayer unless they're in the Son. So these other religions who say, well, I'm praying to God, your prayers get nowhere because you're not in the Son. You deny the Son, He's not representing you so that you have access to the Father. You're not represented. You're still in the first Adam, though you may be incredibly religious. God will not honor any intercession except the one from whom he sent. Jesus, the royal anointed one, the Christ, son of the living God. So again, our prayers of intercession are an extension of his work of intercession. Again, John 14. Not again. Think of John 16. John 14, verse 12. Same night, this is chapter 16, chapter 17, by the way, in case you don't know, John chapter 12, John chapter 18, it's all one night. One night. That same night, back in chapter 14, verse 12, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these he will do, because I'm going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. Now you've heard, probably, hopefully you don't believe this, 
right there, we'll do greater works than Jesus. Jesus said we'll do greater works than these. Does that mean greater works and power, greater miracles? No, of course not. First and foremost, he's talking to the disciples that night. Together, they didn't do a smidgen of what he did in power. And if they could have and would have, it would totally detract from all the Old Testament promises as regards Messiah and what he would do in power. And I always like to use this example. Paul, the greatest apostle, he came. Jesus calmed the storm by what? Speaking. Paul was shipwrecked three times. Right? It's not in power. As we'll see, it's greater works of ministry and extension. Jesus said this from the outset of his ministry in John chapter 4, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work, right? Now, this work is nothing more and nothing less than to accomplish what God already committed to do way back in the Old Testament, and that is to fulfill God's promise in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. The serpent crusher who will come, whose heel will be bruised. So, in what sense then can the work of his followers be greater than the work of the master? Because it's not talking about healing and raising the dead or having people's limbs grow back who are withered. None of that. Greater works and extension, number one, is that we're able, as we testify of him, is to point back to his work that is accomplished. He died, he rose again, and ascended. His finished work. And we have a greater influence numerically and geographically. Jesus' ministry was very limited to a sliver of this earth on foot. The disciples were given the Great Commission. Jesus said, all power and authority has been given to me in heaven above and earth below. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, teaching them to observe all I've commanded you. Lo, I'm with you to the end of the age. And they went out and they did that. And then that torch was passed on to generation after generation. And we bear that torch along with our brothers and sisters around the world to this day doing a greater work and extent. Gospel work, gospel proclamation, proclaiming the serpent crusher. Not greater in power. Because we don't deliver anyone. Amen? What, what, what's greater than Jesus raising from the dead? We don't deliver anyone. We don't reconcile anyone. We don't defeat the enemy. You don't defeat the enemy. The work is done. The reason 
the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of, 1 John 3, 8, the devil. Taking us back to lesson one, learning to pray is not trying to learn, you know, new new techniques like, you know, new contemplated methods of prayer. The key to prayer is the gospel. That's the key to prayer, is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Focusing on God, focusing on what He has done. And again, prayer isn't what we're aiming for. God is who we're aiming for. Remember, Miller used that analogy of driving, staring at the windshield. You don't stare at the windshield when you pray, or when you drive, you look through it. If you stare at the windshield, you'll crash. When we pray, we're not looking and focusing on prayer. We're looking and focusing on God, who enables us to pray. Love that analogy. It's Miller with an A. I've been citing two Millers. That's Miller that wrote, Gary Miller. And he builds his argument in his work on the biblical theology of prayer from a quote um, from Calvin in the Institutes of Christian Religion, where he says, quote, just as faith is born from the gospel, so through the gospel our hearts are trained to call upon God's name. That is to pray according to the gospel. And the, the, the gospel reminds us over and over again, we are weak, but he is strong. So we learn to pray, and we, we keep learning to pray in a fallen, cynical, selfish, disappointing world, sharing as we do Christ's relationship with his Father because he intercedes for us. He rightly represents us. The last Adam represents us to the Father continually, sitting enthroned at the right hand of God the Father. Who delights to hear us pray? You know that? You believe that? He delights to hear us pray. Jesus, you know, when uh, the disciples were were just mesmerized by the power of his ministry and his dedication to prayer. And when, you know, they asked, Lord, teach us to pray. Matthew chapter 6, he says, our, he said this, pray like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In heaven, heaven in Matthew's gospel, is almost always um, used in connection with the in-breaking future. That is the perfect eternal rule of God has broken into this world already when he came the first time. The king. Through the finished work of our Lord Jesus Christ, his kingdom has come, and it will, and it is, continuing to be rolled out. You believe that? You need to believe that. And we, it continues to be rolled out until all of creation bows down before Jesus Christ to the glory of the Father. 
And every knee will bow and every tongue will confess Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. So our Father in heaven, as we pray, is the one who has intervened by sending his Son. He sent him. And his name is to be hallowed. Hallowed be thy name. So we pray to the Father. We pray that his name would be hallowed because we're in the Son. We're enabled because he intercedes. So we can pray. So when we pray thy kingdom come, think about this. We pray our Father in heaven, our Father, corporate, our Father in heaven. Hallowed be your name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done. When we pray thy kingdom come, we're praying for God to bring, to bring about what we read in Revelation 21 and 22. Ultimately, when evil is finally and decisively dealt with, ultimately, new heaven, new earth, where God is seen in worship for who he is and everyone bows. Whether you're in heaven or hell, everyone. There'll be no more death, neither mourning, no crying, nor pain. There'll be uninhibited intimacy with God when the kingdom is consummated. So that's kind of an end game prayer. Amen. It's an end game prayer. Ultimate end game prayer. But it's not only that. Praying thy kingdom come, it's not only an end game prayer. It's just not praying for the ultimate end to come. But it is also the souls who are a means to that end. Amen? Who live in the here and now. Now, Christians too often think that your kingdom come relates only to the consummation of the kingdom. That's the end game part. But it also consists, very properly, very biblically, relates to the transformation in others. The transformation that we see that takes place here. The change that takes place in ourselves is called sanctification. The change that takes place in the church as a whole, the bride of Christ, and even change in things around us culturally for the glory of God. So all the while, as we pray, the gospel's being worked into us and what? Through us. Because he's ever, he ever lives to make intercession for us. We, we, we are being rightly and have been rightly represented before the Father because we're in the Son. We're in union with the triune God because of the finished work of the last Adam who came to intercede and continues to intercede so that we can pray intercessory prayers. We can pray on behalf of others. Directly to God. Isn't it great? Hallelujah. So it, it, this teaches us and encourages us to pray specifically. We touched on this last week, to, to be more specific on our prayers so that we'll see answers to those prayers, not only in the grand things, but also in those little things that make up the big things. And then it drives us to be even more thankful 
we always ought to beware as we sit, stand back a bit, reflect on our prayer life. How often do, do I pray prayers of thanksgiving? And if you don't, it's a good time to start. You know when that is. Right now. So praying that kingdom come is praying that the kingdom will transform the souls of those who are dead and bring them to life. Will sanctify those who do have life, including ourselves. Because he intercedes for us. He intercedes so we can pray. If we don't pray, if our, if our prayer lives are whack, weak, do we still know the gospel? Yes, of course. Does he still love us as his children? Yes, of course. But we will miss out on God working the gospel in us and through us if our prayer lives are nil. Amen? Now, quickly, we've all probably met those Christians, or perhaps we were one of those Christians, who, who, who go wrong in the area of prayer. And what I mean by that is they, they claim to be spirit-led prayers. Well, I, I, I live a spirit-led life, and I, I don't mean in a true biblical sense. What I, what I mean is that they make the grave mistake of elevating human intuition to the status of divine revelation. You know, God told me this, God told me that. And ends up being nothing less than blasphemy. And the danger here, when people say that and think like that, is they begin uh, to call their own thoughts and feelings, or to think of their own thoughts and feelings, on equal plane with divine revelation. It's so dangerous. Don't do that. We never want to do that. You know, God's been telling me something about you. You ever heard that? I have a sign. People will say that not from here at this church, but God spoke to me about your ministry. It's interesting. He hasn't said a word to me about it like you perceive. As a matter of fact, what you say, it's, it's not even biblical. more rooted in Gnosticism than it is the gospel or whatever. So that this kind of puts them in control of God and ultimately all they do is undermine the word of God because of their intuition. And they call it being spirit-led. Spirit, all right. I think he's holy. So intercessory prayer is an extension of the ministry of Jesus through his body, the church. We are his body. We have a gift. He intercedes for us corporately as a representative people. We are his body. He, he, he intercedes and represents, represents us as one and yet individually at the same time. So we can pray corporately our father or we can come before the throne of grace and say, my father. Amen? 
So we mediate between God and humanity, say our fallen loved ones. We mediate between Almighty God and this fallen, dead in their trespasses and sins, loved one uh, before Almighty God because He intercedes for us. Because He mediates for us. There's one mediator between God and man, and that's the God-man, Christ Jesus. We're in union with Him so we can pray prayers of intercession. Beautiful. I think that's much more biblical than thinking that Jesus is up there continually pleading, Father, please accept them. You know, I shed my blood for them. They'd be like, Father, I know you, uh, you shed your blood for them because I sent you to do that. So come on. So we can pray intercessory prayers for the lost. We can pray intercessory prayers for our fellow believers, for spiritual strength for spiritual stamina. We, we had people who suffered this week in this church. Prayer requests go out, and you begin to intercede on their behalf as part of the body of Christ, whoever lives to make intercession for us. We don't produce anything. All we do is distribute. Kind of like when Jesus multiplied the bread and the fish. Did the disciples produce anything? Hello? No. It was all multiplied through the hands of Jesus, and then he passed it on to the disciples who did what with it? They distributed it. They passed it out. They served. I think this we can have the same idea here. He produces everything we distribute because we're in him. Again, John 17, 2 through 5. Since you give, have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him, and this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent, I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. And now he has it again, of course, but now he's in a human body. Glorified human body, you see, the last Adam. Jesus is in a human body forever, glorified, and we're in union with him, and we'll have a glorified body as he rules and reigns. We'll rule and reign with him in a new heaven and a new earth. So as he represents us to the Father, because we're in him, we're enabled to pray. 